This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. How was the regulatory record of Donald Trump? And what should we expect from Joe Biden? And what has he done already? Cato's Tom Fiery is managing editor of Regulation Magazine. Will Yateman is a research fellow in Cato's Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies. We evaluate the Trump regulatory record. And though it's early days, we learn what we should expect from the Biden administration. What would you say, and I know there may be some disagreement here, which I'm happy to exploit for conversational purposes, uh, what was the regulatory record? How positive, how strong from a libertarian perspective was the regulatory record of Donald John Trump? Trump administration's regulatory agenda, in hindsight, was a mixed bag. Um, on the one hand, this much ballyhooed two for one, you know, two regulations must be uh, deleted from the Code of Federal Regulations for every new regulation promulgated. Um, that was the glitzy promise. And, and there's been a, a great deal of ink spilled about how there wasn't much to that promise. Um, and, and there couldn't have been too much to that promise. I mean, uh, 85, 90 percent of regulations are, are pursuant to direct statutory commands. There isn't much discretion. Um, there's only kind of a narrow band, and it's a very consequential band of policymaking, but that is subject um, to this sort of management. So uh, on the one hand, two for one, hokey stuff. On the other hand, the administration, and, and this was done surely unbeknownst to Mr. to, to President Trump, um, but good people in the administration, smart people, people like Jeffrey Rosen, who was first the general counsel at the Department of Transportation and then was assistant attorney general, they pursued a common sense and bipartisan administrative law, structural reforms that were indeed good things. Um, uh, the, the easiest one to explain, uh, regulatory guidance. Um, this, this, it's known as regulatory dark matter. These things that are, are below notice and comment rules, but which nevertheless have binding effect. I mean, the, so to be clear, this is, uh, these are, uh, documents that show agencies how they are to interpret their own rules for the purposes of enforcement. Yes. And, and documents, memos, guidance, statements of policy, they go by any number of monikers. But the key point with all of them is that they don't go through the full administrative and public inclusive procedures that are normally associated with consequential rules that have the force and effect of law. So they carry legal effect, but they don't jump through all the procedural hoops. And these are good things, these procedural hoops. The upshot is agencies these things control a lot of our everyday lives out there. Agencies never published them. They never located them in one place. Um, uh, Clyde Wayne Cruz at the Competitive Enterprise Institute has aptly described these things as regulatory dark matter, the dark matter because we don't even know where they exist. I mean, there's no central repository. So a positive reform that was pushed by the Trump administration was to order all agencies to gather all these guidance documents and to put them into one location, one searchable database. Um, so, so that's indicative of the sort of structural good reforms that, that did occur in the Trump administration and were largely spearheaded by smart people and largely unbeknownst to the president. And so to be clear, this is not uh, necessarily new regulating, but it definitely details the manner in which 
uh, and administration and administrative agencies plan to make use of regulation? Yes, as opposed to regulations per se, and that's what that two for one stuff was all about. This is regulating the regulators. Okay, Thomas A. Fiery, how do you evaluate the Trump years when it comes to regulation? Will uh, very gave a very nice um, defense of a meh rating. I'm going to give a sub meh rating, uh, meh even, minus, meh minus, maybe even into stink category. Um, the key thing that Will picked up on it that's absolutely right is ultimately there's only three ways to significantly change regulation in the United States. It's either to change the statute that requires the regulations. It's either or or number two, to go through major rulemaking procedures to rewrite the regulations. Or number three, what what got used a good bit a few years ago is for Congress to come in with the Congressional Review Act and basically wipe out regulations, which not only uh, wipes out a new regulation that was created, but in a sense tells the regulatory agency, you can't do this sort of regulation again. You've got to basically start over from scratch. So let's be clear about the the Congressional Review Act. How do we anticipate the Biden administration will make use of that? Because uh, as I understand it, the uh, Congress may only reach a certain time period back into the previous uh, administration, most particularly administration of a different party, uh, and wipe out some of the things that they did. What's the threshold for doing that? And what do we expect the Biden administration to do? What we expect the, the Biden administration to do, to, to quote the philosopher Kramer from Seinfeld, is giddy up. They are going to uh, unload this, uh, this howitzer on pretty much everything that the Trump administration did in its midnight period uh, in an attempt to, to undo regulations that it disagree with. Uh, the key thing, though, that you said is what is the what's called the look back period. That is how far back they're allowed to use the CRA to wipe out regulations that were promulgated by the last administration. And you calculate this something like how we would calculate business days. They, they calculate it with Congress days or Congress, I think it's session days. And uh, basically, um, I can't remember which regulatory agency, it might be the OIRA, it's one of them, comes out uh, and announces uh, exactly how they've calculated it, how far back they get to look back uh, to wipe it out. It's, it's, it's almost like the co College of Cardinals in Rome announcing a pope. You know, we all just wait to listen for them to announce what the date is. And I think it's, I think they've come up to some place in late August, maybe August 21st, for some reason is popping in my mind. Um, but which surprised me because I think when Trump came in, it was significantly further back in the summer. Um, so basically Congress with a majority vote in both houses and then approval of the president gets to look at any regulations passed after that date and gets to wipe them out if they want to. And the Republicans in early 2017 did this, I think it was 16, 16, 17 times with, uh, with uh, Obama regulations, uh, which was a, uh, just a major spike. I think it only been used literally once before successfully. It had been tried some other times, but never successfully. And I'm sure now um, uh, the new Democratic Congress and uh, President Biden are going to use that to wipe out the uh, Trump administration's what they call midnight regulations, the ones that Trump was was Trump's people were pushing out just before they got out the door 
Yeah, and and to be clear, when when an administration anticipates that it may be changing, uh, that the White House may be changing parties or uh, Congress may be shifting significantly, um, they try to get a lot of stuff out the door uh, as quickly as they can. Will it, just to to follow up um, Tom's point, I wanted to perhaps throw a little bit of cold water on the notion that that it was going to be giddy up, at least from Congress. Uh, congressional Democrats have historically had a wary relationship with the Congressional Review Act, and that's simply because the act is seen as anti-regulation and they're a party of pro-regulation. Um, this is something that Philip Wallach at AEI has written very persuasively about, and it's that the politics of regulation have become so poisoned, and he largely lays that at the feet of Republicans, that Democrats are unwilling to accept even common sense ideas. So in this context, the Congressional Review Act in a competition among our sub separated powers is the sort of thing that all lawmakers ought to gravitate towards to. I mean, it, it empowers their own institution. Um, but unfortunately, the nature of regulatory politics is such that, again, Democrats haven't necessarily been keen on embracing it. So I'm hopeful, actually, that they do. I I'm hopeful that this political logjam, this political reticence that Democrats have with respect to the Congressional Review Act, they overcome that. Um, I would welcome that, even if I disagree with the ultimate policy results, just because it would augur well for the future. And I think uh, Will's going to get his hope uh, in 2021. There have been some efforts by Democrats in, in the last few years to use the CRA. Obviously, they could not because they didn't have majorities in, uh, in first in the House and then later just in the Senate. And of course, uh, no support from the White House. But they would at least use CRA legislation uh, to go out and show that they were trying to strike back at the Trump regulations. I, I, uh, Maybe I should back up for a moment and you know let our listeners in on something. Whether you're a presidential administration that wants tighter, more government-involved um, activity uh, uh, regulations, or whether you want what we call deregulation, either way, you have to pass regulations in the sense that you have to write something down, make it official, and say, this is how we're going to do this. So in all the deregulatory activities of the 1980s and 1990s and even late 1970s, they were still passing regulations, but they were regulations toning down more ardent regulations from the past. So these are all regulatory activity. We just call some of them you know, pro-regulatory because they're stricter and tighter and some of them deregulatory activity, but they're all regulations. So in the last few years, the Democrats in Congress have been using the CRA to take votes and to posture that they're fighting against the Trump regulations, even though these, these pieces of legislation would fail. So they've kind of been working out, you know, exercising their CRA muscles. Well, now 2021, they control the White House, they control the House of Representatives, they control the Senate, and their muscles have been toned up some. So I think for the first time, the, the Democrats are going to be just, you know, they're going to be wearing their little t-shirts to say, I heart the CRA, because now they can strike back at Donald Trump's regulations. While we're talking about regulation and uh, partisan politics, I'm going to get your answer to this question. Will the greatest presidential deregulator of the last 50 years was? Jimmy Carter. Tom? Ronald Reagan. Oh, disagreement. Well, yes. Tom, we're going to do a separate podcast on why you're, <laughs> why I think you're wrong. With respect to President Biden and his uh, regulatory agenda, 
he has, it appears, altered the way that costs and benefits are to be calculated. Do I understand that correctly? He proposes to. And so what you're referring to is a process known as White House Regulatory Review, and it's performed by an office in the White House known as OIRA. Um, And what OIRA does is, in essence, check the math that agencies have employed when they're weighing the costs and benefits to justify their rules. Every presidential administration in in our modern times, when presidents are the fount of of policymaking, they've all put their own gloss on how these cost-benefit analyses ought to be run. I mean, remember, cost-benefit analyses are always assumptions-based. So our values are going to inform our assumptions. Different presidents of different parties will have different values and therefore different assumptions. So for Bush, for example, for Bush, um, the benefits had to exceed the the value of the costs. Uh, For Obama, the benefits had to justify the cost. I mean, see that different formulation? Trump, of course, had his hokey two for one. Um, Biden, it it seems to be this concept of of equity. And and in particular, he's uh, ordered OIRA to work on a, a methodology for reviewing regulations that focuses on, quote, the distributional consequences of regulations, unquote. Um, And I'm not sure what that means, to be perfectly frank with you, Um, but I I am pretty darn confident that in practice, that won't amount to much. Um, So so we'll see. I mean, that is to say, uh, I suspect this is virtue signaling because I'm not sure there's much that can be made from that, from this distributional consequences of regulation. Tom? What is meant by uh, equity considerations is, you know, probably just a, a Rorschach inkblot test that if there's some sort of regulation that Obama or one of his constituencies really wants and it doesn't make sense uh, through a benefit cost analysis, uh, they're going to hold up the regulation. They're going to hold up the the OIRA analysis and and you know t- turn it left and right, back and forth, and say, ah, oh, looks like equity to me, and and get through whatever they want. Uh, there's a good bit of empirical evidence that indicates that no matter how rigorously we try to create an objective rulemaking uh, uh, procedure, doing cost-benefit analysis and all these other you know uh, you know comment periods, response periods, and blah 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 blah, it it ultimately is shaped by what the executive wants. Uh, and if Caesar wants the regulation. More times than not, the regulation is going to squeeze through no matter what the procedures say. It, it really is uh, uh, an executive, uh, uh, you know, again, what Caesar wants. Uh, but this kind of goes back um, to a point I was, I was uh, talking about earlier and, and Will was talking about earlier about the importance of statute, that regulations ultimately are the products of statute. And you can't get these rulemakings and you can't get these Rorschach inkblot tests unless you have the statutes there requiring them or prohibiting them. And if if I were to explain why I give my failing grade to the Trump administration for their regulatory policy, it's because they were just so awful about trying to get good, you know, to get to change statute and to, and to try to build constituencies uh, in order to get these statutes uh, to improve rulemaking. You know, the deregulations that we had in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, starting with Carter uh, and then through Reagan and, and, and through Bill Clinton, who was actually a significant deregulator, um, at least in, the second, in his second term in office, uh, they were based on 
statutes that had bipartisan support that took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in order to get that that bipartisan support. But that's the only way to have enduring regulatory change. And the Trump administration never seemed particularly interested in trying to build broad support for their initiatives. Uh, They almost seemed to take it as a badge of courage that they wouldn't build those broad support. And we're going to be paying the price for it uh, because basically they were very lazy rule makers. I, I agree. It's Congress's fault, but it, it's, what does the president have to do with the laws being so ambiguous that our presidents can be Caesar-like interpreting the same ambiguous statute? I mean, they're flip-flop, 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 but it's the same. The statute hasn't changed, and yet the policy changes 180 degrees. It, it, you know, wild swings with profound effect upon our society. So I, I agree with Tom overall. I don't put uh, the, the blame at the foot of Trump because Congress continually for 100 years has failed to legislate uh, with any specificity or with any responsibility or accountability. Um, but, you know, I do agree overall it's a function of statute. And th- this, this is Congress's fault. Yeah, don't disagree with that. Good stuff. Tom Fiery is managing editor of Regulation Magazine and a Cato Institute senior fellow. Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 